you can open up to John 15. John 15 is where we're going. If you don't have a Bible with you, there will be, there's one in a seat back, and there should be a bookmark in there. You can open up to the bookmark, and that should get you to John 15. Um, this is a great time of year. I really do enjoy New Year. I like hearing about New Year's resolutions. I like, who, who has made a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Nobody's made, we got one, two, three, okay. Have you already, bro- we're like 11 hours in. Have you already broken your New Year's resolution? No, we're still in it. Good job, guys. See, there are many people who just don't make the resolution. That way you don't have to worry about failing at it. So that's smart. You're getting ahead of the game. Um, but I do love this time where it's the new year because it's, it feels like we can do anything, right? We can change things. We can experience anything. It's a time to reflect and consider what was and what could be, what, what we want these coming days and weeks and months to look like, right? The calendar is, is open outside of work and, and things like that. I mean, we have endless possibilities in front of us, possibilities and chances. But the same can be said, though, in the negative light, because we don't know the awesome mountaintop moments that we have waiting for us in the upcoming year. We also don't know about the valleys and the hardships and the pain we're going to experience in this upcoming year. For all the planning and hoping and dreaming for all of our resolutions, we have no idea what 2023 actually has for us. And the reality is we aren't guaranteed this year. For some of us, this might be your last January 1st. I mean, we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed the rest of today. Life is fleeting and temporary and finite. Everything about this world is failing and falling apart, including you and I. So then, with whatever time we have, whatever days we are granted, we should take full advantage. We should embrace and enjoy them. As Thoreau would say, we should suck the marrow out of life. But if we take that way of thinking, that carpe diem mentality, and apply it only to the physical, hedonistic, YOLO kind of way, then we have left ourselves ever wanting more, ever chasing something, never truly satisfied because we're always looking for something else. Instead, we have been given an insight into where life and full living can and will come from. It is found when we abide in Jesus. That is the phrase for this morning, abide in Jesus. For whatever resolution or plan or goal you might have for 2023, if you are not first and foremost abiding in Christ, you are shortchanging your own life. We should dream, we should plan, we should make resolutions, we should make hopes, we should have hopes and dreams for what this year can be. But if we don't abide in Christ, it doesn't matter. Without Christ at the center as the foundation and the, as the place and person we find our identity and life, without Christ, we will always be chasing something we can never actually grasp. So with a fresh calendar year in front of us, my hope and goal and prayer for me, for you, for us as a community, is that 2023 is marked by abiding in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray because we haven't done enough of that today. Let's pray and then we'll jump into John 15. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are because you are good. We thank you for days like this where we get to gather, where we get to enjoy the community you have built. We get to be together and open your word and spend time with you and just be and slow down and let everything else kind of fade. 
so that we can fix our eyes and hearts and minds on you. God, you have a reason for us being together this morning. You have a reason for us being in this part of scripture. You have a reason. This is not happenstance or chance. You are in control of all things at all times, which means today is yours. You made today happen, and today is happening the way you knew it would happen, and we are here today because you have something to say to us. So God, as we open your word this morning, I pray that we would be able to focus and hear from you. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. Lord, we pray for the kids up in Grace Place that you would encourage them, that you would reveal yourself to them. We pray for the leaders that are up there, that you would give them an extra dose of energy and excitement and patience and love for those kids as they reflect the way you love us to them, as they help to teach and instruct and reveal your love to the kids of our church through the way that they lead that, that time. God, help all of us to focus on you this morning. Amen. So we're going to be in John 15. I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 1, and then we'll uh, break it down and talk about it. So John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my, that my, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. So I want to give you a little bit of context for what it is that Jesus is talking about here and just even where this passage fits in as a whole. Throughout the Old Testament, the vine is used as an image of Israel. Oftentimes, the imagery is connected to Israel rejecting God. You can see that whole imagery played out really clear in Psalm 80. I'll read you a couple of verses. You don't have to go there now. It says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, took deep root, and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the fields feed on it. God takes the vine out of Egypt. He takes Israel out of slavery in Egypt and establishes it in the promised land, establishes the people of God in the place of God. And the people flourish, and they fill the land, but then something changes, right? You heard it. The walls come down. God removes his protection from the vine. Why? 
Because despite the goodness, generosity, love, grace, and mercy of God, the people still rebel against him. The people still decide they know better than he does. And they follow their own passions and desires. See, some things change, some things stay the same. Israel continually fell short of what they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to do. They were the vine. And what does a vine do? It bears fruit. They failed at that over and over again. Until eventually Jesus shows up. And Jesus is the true vine. Israel, God's people, were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be the people of God, fully and completely dependent on him. And they failed and they rebel against him. Over and over, Jesus shows up and says, I am the true vine. I am in complete connection to the Father. In all the ways Israel failed to be rooted in the Father, I am. This passage this morning, John 15, it comes after the Last Supper. Jesus has spent three years teaching, revealing himself to his disciples. He tells them, I am the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. Over and over, he's showing them these glimpses of the kingdom of God breaking through in the way that he teaches, in the way that he instructs, in the way that he heals, in bringing people back from the dead. He's giving them these glimpses, these little, little windows into this is what it will be like when the kingdom is fully and completely established. Now here, they just had the Last Supper. And he began that meal, how? By getting on his knees and washing the disciples' feet. And then he takes the bread and the wine and he gives it to them and he used it one more time to teach them what was coming. He breaks the bread and says, this is my body, it's going to be broken for you. When you eat, remember me. This is the wine, this wine is my blood which is going to be spilt for you and give you a new relationship with God, a new covenant with God. When you drink of it, remember me. As he talks about the vine and the branch, the clock is ticking. They're getting closer and closer every minute by minute to when Christ is going to hang on the cross. And so Jesus here in John 15, what he's saying is, look, you guys are going to need this. You're going to need to know this. You're going to need to trust in this because things are about to get a little weird. It's about to get a little unnerving. You're about to get a little unsettled and really uncomfortable. So I need you to understand what it means that I am the true vine, you are the branches, and what it means to abide in Christ, abide in me. For the disciples, their whole world was about to be turned upside down, and Jesus was trying to comfort them ahead of time. We don't know what 2023 is going to hold, but I'm pretty confident to say that at some point over the next 12 months, you are going to be in a situation where your world is coming unraveled. And the truth is, there will be something that's going to hit you so hard, you're going to need that comfort ahead of time. And so we have passages like this that we're going to want to be able to cling to in those moments. And so Jesus talks about the vine and the vine dresser and the branch, these three different entities in this passage. He starts right in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is the true vine, the true embodiment and source of life. He is the source of our very being and existence because he gave us our life. He gave us all of life and all of existence in the beginning when he created all things. Jesus is the source of life. Connected to the true vine are the branches. That's you and me. 
the ones dependent upon the vine, the ones who need a source, an external source of life, because we can't do this on our own. We can't just make something out of nothing. We needed a creator. We needed someone to make, form, and shape us, to give us our essence, to give us our life, and that's what God did. We are the branch dependent on him. You disconnect the branch from the vine, the branch withers and dies, not bearing fruit, not doing the very thing it was made to do. Bear fruit, grow, produce more life, be a blessing to others. That can't happen when the branch is disconnected from the vine. Many of us right now have in our houses a bunch of dead trees. My Christmas tree held up like a champ. Like, we got it early. We got it, like, the first week of December. And it, when we got it and brought it in the house, the branches were looking good, pointing up, holding, their, holding the weight, and doing the things you want your Christmas tree to be able to do, right? But over time, it started to sag and droop. Like, ornaments are falling off by the hour at this point. Like, it's, it's barely hanging on. Why? Because that tree was disconnected from the light source. And while there's water in the stand, and that may help prolong things a little bit, ultimately, that tree has been cut off from the light source, and so it is falling apart. When you disconnect the branch from the vine, it has lost its strength and power. So we have Jesus, the true vine. We have the branches. He is the source of life. We have us, the branches, dependent on the vine for life and existence. And then we have the vine dresser. Jesus says his father is the vine dresser. The work of a vine dresser is making, making it so that there is growth and health in the branches. You prune the healthy, meaning you cut away that which is a little bit weaker, the stuff that isn't quite growing as well so that the healthy can flourish. Along with getting rid of the unhealthy or the weaker things, the vine dresser also gets rid of that which is not bearing anything, that which is completely dead. So that means... It's possible to be a branch connected to Jesus and then cut off and taken away by the vine dresser. Well, how does that work? Well, I mean, think about the context of when this passage is taking place. Like I said, it's taking place right after the Last Supper, which means Jesus at this point is talking not to 12 disciples. He's talking to 11 because one of the 12 is already gone. Judas is on his way to the Romans. Judas is on his way to go and betray Jesus to them. He was with Jesus for three years, and yet wasn't truly, as the text says, abiding in Christ. There was no fruit there, no real growth there. Jesus shows us here that there are those who claim they are with him, those who claim they are Christians, but if there is no fruit, the vine dresser is going to take care of that. He spells it out in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. There's a difference between being connected to Jesus and abiding in Jesus. You may be connected because you hang out with Christians, you show up to church, or you grew up in church, but just because you're around Christian culture doesn't make you a Christian. This is where the need for abiding in Christ comes from. And so we have the true vine, the source of life, Jesus. We have us, the branches who are dependent on him for life, and the vine dresser, God the Father, working to see the branches grow and bear fruit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean when it says in verse 8 that we are to bear much fruit? 
And how does that happen? Well, let's start with the how, because a lot of emphasis is put on the how in this passage. And if we nail the how, then the what is going, the bearing fruit will come from it. So how do we bear fruit? What does that look like? What's the process that we go through? Verse 4, the very first word of 15.4 is what? Abide. It's mentioned 10 times between verse 4 and verse 11. The word abide shows up 10 times. In the Bible, repetition means something is important. Repetition in close proximity means it is very, very, very important. Jesus is emphasizing and stressing abide. Abide means remain in, stay in, continue with, dwell, be, endure, keep on keeping on. Whatever definition you go through, it's keep doing it. Get in that place and stay and continue, which means you got to start. To be able to continue something, you got to first start something. He is the vine, we are the branches, and we have to stay connected. But first, you got to get connected, and that happens through placing your faith in Christ alone. Faith in his life, death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. Because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone alone when you admit you have sinned and are in need of a savior when you believe that jesus is the son of god god in the flesh who died on the cross for your sins in your place and choose to have him be the lord and savior of your life that's how we get connected to the vine and once connected we are to abide stay connected how god has given us a lot of resources number one his word Get into it. Read it. Study it. Know God deeper and deeper because this is him revealing himself to us. His word, his teachings, his instruction, his encouragement, his rebuke, his guidance. It is the truth. Do you treat it as such? Is it a vital part of your life, of your day to day? In John 6, Jesus is teaching about the resurrection, and a lot of people heard him. He's talking about blood and, and flesh and consuming these things. It weirds a bunch of people out, and the crowd starts to disband. They're like, well, that's enough. I don't know what he's talking about. It's too overwhelming. It's too confusing. I'm out. And the crowd starts to thin, and Jesus turns, and he looks at his disciples. He looks at the 12, and he says to them, do you want to go away as well? And in John 6, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, where are we going to go? Your words give eternal life. Why would we go anywhere else? The word of God gives eternal life. Do we treat it like that? Do we treat it like it has life-giving supernatural power? Because it does. Some might say, you know what, my resolution for this year is to be in the word more. I want to read the Bible more. Amen. To help you with that, if, if that's one of your goals, if that's something that you're ascribing or you know, desiring to do, um, a couple of years ago, like five or six years ago at this point, we did a, a read through the Bible where we read through the Bible as a church in over two years. That whole reading plan, that whole breakdown, all two years worth of, of readings um, is all on our website. We left it up there. If you go to churchinroscovillage.org slash teaching, there's a link, and you can get the whole breakdown to know how to, what to read every week, and it'll take you through a two-year plan. Um, 
also, we have a whole, there's a whole page on there about spiritual disciplines, including how to study the Bible. And there's all kinds of notes and resources. We've put a bunch of stuff on our website to try and make it accessible, where if you want to learn how to study, if you want to be in the Word, we've kind of tried to help give you first steps to take, as well as, you know, it's 2023. There are so many resources. If you want to study the Bible, if you want to learn more and how to study and learn more about Scripture and about God, there are so many free resources available to you at your fingertips, in your pocket, right now on the Internet that you can go and find. To go along with these things, we as a church, beginning this morning, are embarking on a new focus to help us grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's Word. We're going to do this together. Psalm 19, verse 7, says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Later on in Psalm 19, it says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119 is very long, and very full of powerful imagery of the beauty and value of God and the word of God. Psalm 119.9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want pure life, if you want to walk with God as as Michael prayed, if you want to not stray to the left or right, but walk with God, how do we do that? Know his word. He goes on, the psalmist goes on in Psalm 119, verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, 103, 103 I told you it was a long one. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You're going to hear that phrase a bunch this year. When you read the Old Testament, there is this joy and love for the word of God. And what always sticks out to me is that when we read that, we read those kind of psalms where they talk about the word of God being sweeter than honey, being this thing that we long for, that I go to sleep thinking about it, I wake up and I'm thinking about it. And what sticks out to me all the time when, the, when that kind of language happens in the Old Testament is that when they're talking about the Word of God, they're talking about like, like this much. They're talking about the first five books of the Bible. They're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yes, the prophets come later, but in general, they're talking about those first five books, where if you're doing a read-through-the-Bible kind of thing, those books that like usually knock people out and give up when you get into like Leviticus 12 and you just tap out, that's the thing that the psalmist says, I love it. It is sweet on my tongue. I delight in it. It is good for me. They don't have most of the prophets at this point. They don't have the Gospels. They don't have the resurrection. They don't have Paul breaking things down in Romans. They don't have the missionary trips and acts. They don't have revelation telling us that everything works out and Christ reigns and rules at the end. They have, do not do this, do this, and this is how you glorify me. They have the law, and they delighted in it. 
and they loved it. Why? Because they knew it was from God. They knew it was the word of God, and it was good for them, and it guided and shaped their lives. If this book is what we claim it to be, the living and active word of God that still matters and means something today, we should probably be really intentional to know it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So what we're going to do this year as a church is we are going to focus on meditating and memorizing scripture together. Every week during the service, we're going to have a new verse or a couple of verses that we're going to be memorizing. Many of those verses and passages are coming from our own community. I put it out to people and asked them and said, what's an important verse, an important uh, passage to you, to your family? What's something that really sticks out to you? And so we got a list, um, and a lot of the passages we're going to memorize are ones that are important to our community. If you want to add to that, we still got more we can add to. Um, If you want to add that, you can send me an email, pastortimcf at gmail, and just give me a list of of verses and passages you think we should memorize and and why, if you want to give me a little bit of why, um, and we'll add those to the list. The goal here is to get us thinking about, focusing on, abiding in the Word of God together. To put it in front of us daily, to having it bounce around in our heads and hearts until it ingrains itself in us. This might seem like a tangent, but it's not. Bear with me. When a cow grazes in a field, it's eating grass, right? The cow doesn't have enough enzymes in its stomach to completely break down the grass and get all of the required nutrients from it. So what happens when a cow is grazing and eating grass? The cow will swallow grass, partially digest it, and then regurgitate that grass back up into its mouth and chew it and chew it and chew it to get the remainder of the nutrients out of it. And then it'll redigest it, and if it needs to, regurgitate it again, chew on it some more to get whatever is left, and swallow it. When they throw that up, that stuff that they are chewing on, it's called the cud. If you ever heard the phrase, chewing the cud, that's where it comes from. That's what it means to meditate on Scripture. I give you this illustration because it's gross and I want it to stick with you. This is what we do when we meditate on scripture. We take it in, we ingest God's word. We hear it, we read it, we study it, we get it into us, and then we chew the cud. We break it apart, we consider it, we take our time with it, we suck everything we can out of it. We let it get into our brains like a song that won't leave. We let it get into our heart and soul so that it's the thing that's coming out when we're folding laundry, when we're mindlessly driving and stuck in traffic. It's the thing that's bouncing around. That's what we're shooting for here this year. Now, I realize for some people, memorizing scripture is a challenge. And if you grew up in Awana, this might, like, trigger some bad experiences for you. I'm not looking to belittle or embarrass anyone. I will not put anybody on the spot this year or try to shame you because this is something that's difficult for you. And if that is you, if this idea of memorizing scripture is already making you squirm in your seat, we can all agree that knowing scripture is good and important, yes? Yes. So then, if something is important, if something that is difficult is ultimately good for our relationship with God, it's probably worth the struggle. But really what I'm looking for, and what I think is going to help us grow as individuals and as a community, what I want for us this year, more than anything, is to have, us, have this year be about chewing the cud of Scripture together. 
getting it into us, getting it into our heads and hearts and souls and letting it bounce around. If you're able to memorize all 52 of these verses and passages, amen, that's awesome. If you read and read and reread and reread scripture all year and you only memorize one of these, amen. Because I guarantee you, if you will spend the time and just let it get into your head and heart, God is going to change you and do things through you through his word. I promise. So to help with this, to help make this a possibility, every week we're going to have handouts like the one you got today. If you didn't get one, they're at the front table. They will look nicer in the future. But for right now, this works. We're going to have a handout. You can put it up in your house. You can put it in your car. Put it somewhere where you'll see it and be able to remember it. We're also going to use social media to help us remind ourselves with these passages and verses. Along with that, if you are a smartphone user, there are two apps that I recommend, Versify and Verses. Both of them, well, Versus, I think, is, is pay, but Versify is free. Both of them, um, they're really cool. You download the app, and then you put in the passage or verse. So for this week, it would be Matthew uh, 28, 19, and 20. You put it in, you can read it, and then there's also, like, fill-in-the-blank games, and it'll read it back to you, and it'll give you ways and ways to help you memorize it, ways to help. It'll ask you, like, what's the first letter of this word? And, like, like I said, fill-in-the-blank puzzles, things like that to help get the word into your head and heart. It's something that might help. Instead of sitting and scrolling social media, you can open that up and you can work on your verses when you have downtime. Also, um, audio Bibles, fantastic. If you're, an audio, if you're an auditory learner, audio Bibles, fantastic. Whatever works for you, whether rhythm-wise, learning style, it's available. And I'm going to do my best to make these different things available and known. I want to help us get into the word more and more. Okay, so we're going to do this every week. So with all of that said, our verse for week one, our verse for today, as I said, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It is the Great Commission. It is the mission of every gospel-centered, Bible-believing church is to make disciples, to go and further what Christ has taught us. And so I thought that was a good one for us to start. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some call back and forth, okay? You're going to repeat after me nice and loud. We're going to go through it one time, and then we're going to do it again all together. But you guys are going to repeat after me this first time. Got it? Cool? Yeah. All right. I want the kids to hear us. Okay. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Hold on, hold on. We're going to go, we're going to go call, we're going to we'll go repeat after me. We'll, we'll break it down. This is day one, so we're going to just work on this slowly, all right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All right, so now one more time, we're going to do it all together nice and loud, all right? So starting with the reference. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All right, there we go. Week one in the books. 
Let it bounce around. Let it work its way into your head and your heart. Let it, God speak to you through that. And every Sunday, we're going to have a different one. The hope is that this helps us in our efforts to abide, to stay connected with Christ. I hope you get used to doing that. We're doing this every week. Getting back into what we're talking about this morning. Another way to help us to abide, to stay connected to Christ, is through prayer. Fittingly, that's been a big emphasis for us this morning. I am always going to encourage you to journal your prayers, write out your prayers to God, because it's a great way to be able to go back and look and reflect on what God has done. Or even to go back and say, you know what, I prayed for this thing, I prayed hard for a while, and then I kind of just let go of it because I didn't see any movement. Maybe I need to start praying for that again. But it's a great way to see God, how God has moved in your life. Prayer journals, praying back scripture to God. Prayer is our half of the conversation. You got dreams, you got plans and ideas. How about instead of going to God and saying, hey God, here's my plan, will you please bless it? Instead of saying, maybe we can go to God and say, God, what would you have for me when it comes to my job? Where I work, where I live, who I am in a relationship with. Instead of going to God and saying, God, here's what I did, will you please bless it? Say, God, will you guide me in these steps? Once you lead me and I'll, I'll respond to what you have for me. You got questions, you got worries, you got fears and doubts. You're unsure about what this year is coming to. Instead of complaining about it online, take those things to God. My prayer personally regularly for the last few months every morning has been, God, help me be present with who I'm with. Help me be patient, especially at home. And God, for those in power within our city and our country, I pray that they would know the gospel. Those have been those three Ps of prayer and patience and power. Those have been the three things that God has been continuously coming back and saying, this is what I want you focused on. Prayer keeps you connected. It helps us to abide in Christ. We are to abide, to dwell in and choose to be connected to Jesus. Not only is it good and life-giving for you, but Jesus himself said in regards to bearing fruit, it cannot be done on our own. It cannot be done apart from him. It's through our abiding in him that we bear fruit. So what does it mean to bear much fruit? What does it mean to do that? He said in verse 4, we can't do it unless we're connected to Jesus. So what is fruit? Fruit is talked about a lot of different ways in the New Testament. In Romans 1, Paul connects it to evangelism. In Romans 6, he talks about growing in holiness and obedience as fruit-bearing. Even when we give an offering, that's considered fruit-bearing in the Bible. And then you have Galatians 5, focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. To bear fruit is to allow the life you receive from Christ to express itself in and through your thoughts, words, and actions. Your Christ-likeness, specifically your engagement with people in your life. A fruit tree gets planted. The tree bears fruit. The fruit is collected, eaten, and enjoyed by others. Some of the fruit gets into the earth, produces a new tree, new fruit, new production, new enjoyment. Fruit bearing is about others. It is not for the tree it came for. It's to benefit others. In this passage, Jesus specifically talks about love. In verse 9, abide in the love of Christ. Dwell in it. Rest in it. Be grounded in the love of Christ. He says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What commandments? He says in verse 12, love. To bear fruit is to love others, is to love like Christ, sacrificially, unconditionally. When pressed, 
in a different passage, when pressed about what is the greatest commandment, Jesus says, love God, love people. To bear fruit is to pursue those things. Your relationship with God, your abiding in him, will bring about fruit, loving others. This kind of love Jesus makes reference to in verse 12. Love as I have loved you. And in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. That is the gospel. The greatest love ever shown, Jesus on the cross dying in our place for our sins. Unconditional, full, complete, pure love on display for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This kind of love is the love we are called to have. It should be what Christians and the church are known for. This is why abiding in Christ is so important, because we can't do this alone. We need to be connected to him, and not only the vine, but the vine dresser. We need him too, because he prunes, he takes away distractions, he gives us room to grow and flourish. But pruning requires sharp scissors. It involves cutting, cutting out things that seem fine. It means for a while things look unfulfilled, it looks a bit incomplete. It's not always easy or comfortable. But if we allow the Father to do what he knows is best for us, if we can trust and abide in Christ, great growth will come from what God is pruning in our lives. This year might be full of mountaintop moments for you, sunshine and glory, but it's probably also going to have some valleys and low points and scary points. It's going to be a mix. But if you are a believer, God has something for you in this upcoming year. He will use you, and if you are willing to be used, he will help you bear much fruit. But we can't do it apart from Jesus. In verse 8, he says, when you bear fruit, you glorify God. That's the thing we are made to do. Bear fruit. It is the badge you wear on your life, the evidence of being a follower of Christ. And if we are abiding in Christ, if we are bearing fruit, then a byproduct of that will be joy. In verse 9, he says to abide, to dwell in the love of Jesus, and we do that by keeping his commandments. And if we are abiding, if we are following him, if we are loving others, we will have the joy of Christ, and that joy will be full in you, he says in verse 11. The confidence of God's control in my life, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what this life is throwing at me, I can have joy because it's not grounded in my circumstances, it's grounded in my trust in who God is. Happiness, gladness, those things are nice, but they are a shadow of joy. Because those things are temporary and based on our circumstances. Joy is deeper. It withstands the circumstances of life. It celebrates God at all times. Joy is able to rest because it's resting in knowing God's goodness. It transcends the circumstances of our lives. It is a choice to say, look, the world is ugly and hard and overwhelming, but I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to trust God in this and know that he is working all things out. We can trust to have and choose to have joy and have this confidence of God's control in our lives and trust him and praise him regardless of what's going on. Now, it doesn't mean we minimize and that pain isn't real. It doesn't mean you're a Christian, you have joy, so the hard things aren't so hard. No, that's not true. I would never tell you that. Your pain is real. Suffering is real. Just because you are a Christian doesn't mean you get to avoid the hardships and pains of this life. But your suffering, your pain, it doesn't have to debilitate you and destroy you. Paul tells us in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. 
He's writing from a prison cell, locked up, not knowing whether or not tomorrow was going to be his last day. But he's able to tell the church in Philippi, rejoice, because Paul wasn't going to let his circumstances take his joy. We can't let our circumstances dictate to us our joy because they will inevitably steal it. And ultimately, our joy is to be grounded and founded in response to God. In response to his character, his actions, and his promises. And so that brings us back to needing to abide in Christ. To stay connected and root ourselves deeper and deeper into the character and will of God. Because as we do that, we'll find more and more safety, security, and joy in him. The fullness of life comes from knowing Christ and allowing that relationship to permeate every other aspect of who we are. You can go into 2023 not knowing Christ, and you can have a good year. It's possible. You can have a fine year. You can set goals and attain those goals and succeed. It is possible to not know Jesus and to get to the end of 2023 and say, you know what, that was a really good year. That's the grace of God in this world, that the sun and the rain falls on the, on the Christian and the non-Christian alike. But the person who lives disconnected from God will never have a true, thriving, and full life. It is not possible. You can get good. You can get satisfactory. You can even get a little bit of great. But apart from Christ, you will never have best. You'll never get fullness. John 10, 10, he says that I came that they may have life and life abundantly, life in excess, life overflowing. And we're not even talking about stuff. God might bless you with stuff, but that's not even what we're talking about here. When, God, when Jesus talks about life abundant, he is talking about the joy-filled life, the fruit-bearing life, the abiding, resting, trusting assurance of the unconditional love and unrelenting power, protection, and presence of the God of all existence in your life. I don't know what 2023 has for us for you, for me, for us as a community. But what I do know is that today we need to connect and abide in the true vine. And if God gives us tomorrow, we need to connect and abide in the true vine. And we need to do that over and over for as many days as he allows for us to have. And if we do that, he has promised that he will bear much fruit in 2023 and beyond. He is the vine. We are the branches. Whoever abides in him bears much fruit. For apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. So let's pray that our 2023 is full of fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and awesome. You connected to us. You make a way for us to be connected to you. Jesus' entry into this world gave us the opportunity to connect and have a relationship, an intimate relationship with you. God, your word is real and powerful. You have revealed yourself to us in a, a bunch of different ways. Help us to respond. You are always speaking to us. Help us to listen. You want us to have a deeper relationship with you, to know you more, to know you better. God, help us to show up when you call us. Help us to abide. In a world that is busy and loud and noisy and overwhelming, help us to make a priority of being grounded in you and rooted in you 
know you better, to know you deeper, to know you more. God, I pray that you would help us, that as we abide, as we rest in you, that we would be able to know you better and we would be able to be the lights of the world you have made us to be. We thank you and praise you. Amen.